0: Dear it's JB for the Something Basketball Podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm
1: JB. How
0: are you? Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about something. Fair enough. There's so much stuff we could talk about, so why not talk about something cool that we all love and enjoy? Welcome to Something Basketball, your English spoken basketball podcast straight out of Germany. I'm your host, JB, and today we'll make every Disney aficionado out there happy. Because I found Cinderella for you. Players come and go. They sign contracts here and there. They bounce around from country to country in order to chase their dreams. With Josh Young, it's a little different. The 31-year-old guard spent his entire career playing in Germany so far. Ever since finishing college and leaving the U.S. in 2010, Young has been with a total of three clubs. Doesn't sound spectacular, right? Well, he's proved to the fact that starting off your career on a lower level does not hurt at all. Young came into former Bundesliga powerhouse Leverkusen as a late addition midway through the 2010-11 season and destroyed the 3rd division competition by racking up an astonishing 26.7 points per game. He then went on to test the 1st division waters with Tübingen before ultimately being quote-unquote downgraded to Nuremberg for the 2014-15 season. The following summer Young joined Rastafechter the first time and was able to celebrate the club's promotion in 2016. Slowed down by injuries that year, his readiness for a Bundesliga gig might have been questioned, so he returned to Nuremberg. While Josh was playing in Nuremberg for a bigger contract, Fechter struggled to stay in first division. This is where the real Cinderella story begins, for both Fechter and Josh Young. Sometimes it takes just a second look to realize it's a perfect match. Young led the team to a second division title in 2018 before completely turning the Bundesliga landscape upside down. As a newcomer, Fechter finished the regular regular season in fourth place, beat cup winners Bamberg in the quarterfinals of the playoffs and gave eventual champs Bayern Munich a hard-fought series in the semis. You can tell that quite a few players from that very group went on to sign with bigger teams. TJ Bray joined Munich, Austin Hollands moved to St. Petersburg and both will play EuroLeague from here on out. Seth Hendricks, in his regard, signed with Ulm and will take part in EuroCup action this year. But Young, he knows where he belongs. Which is why he extended his contract with Fechter as early as last March and is eager to continue the Cinderella story not only on the Bundesliga level but in Basketball Champions League as well. Catching up with him on the bus during a preseason trip, by the way, pardon the sometimes, let's say, rough connection, we stuck to the something basketball credo, exchanging the good old triple threat position, shoot, pass and dribble, for, in Josh's case, shape, public relations and defense. Josh Young, for the Something Basketball Podcast, welcome. While sitting on the bus, sir, today we're going to talk about not shoot, pass, and dribble, but we're going to talk shape, public relations, and defense. And to start things off, we got to rewind the clock to 2010. Um, When you came late into the season, into the 10-11 season, came into Leverkusen, once a powerhouse in German basketball, at that time played in Pro-B, um, you came in super, super late. I think almost midway through the season. Uh, talk about, you know, what you remember from uh, nine years back. How how were you able to to stay in shape, stay mentally ready? Were you sitting at home waiting for a gig to pop up, or what was the situation with you prior to ultimately signing with Leverkusen?
1: Yeah, that's a uh, man. It seems like forever ago. It was. I had I finished college up. Um, I had some NBA workouts that I had done and was working out with some at the time D League teams, which is now the G League. Uh, and I actually thought that that was going to be the route that I was going to take, that I would I would go the G League route, try to work my way into a system, try to get a call up. Um, but that just wasn't that wasn't in the cards for me, and so. Uh, I remember I was at home and it's an interesting time because, you know, as a student athlete in college, you're used to everything being paid for, and you don't have any bills and you don't have to worry about things like that. But coming out of that situation and moving into a place where you're going to be a professional basketball player is a time that you really have to become an adult. And so I remember I, I picked up some, a couple of odd end jobs just to, to keep money flowing in my pocket and uh, I had worked at at like a Target and a a mobile phone stand. Uh, I was cleaning malls and buildings and just trying to do what I could. And then in the mornings, I would always be at the gym. And so it was just an interesting time for me to try to manage coming out of a situation where I was completely focused on basketball to having to be an adult. And then finally, my agent, uh, I remember he gave me a call and told me there was a team in Germany that was interested and I told him hey, let's do it. You know, I'm ready to I'm ready to play and I, I believe that was in December two thousand and ten.
0: Right. Um when you say that you had some D League, now G League um workouts at the time and it hasn't been in, in your cards to put it um with in your words, um talk about the mental aspect of, you know, not actually getting a gig and sitting at home what ha- have you ever been thinking about maybe possibly a plan B or C besides a basketball talk about that aspect
1: yeah I uh it was tough because uh, there hadn't been so many times in my life that I'd been cut from a team and so my first professional experience was that's exactly what happened I was I was drafted to the Austin Toros in the third round of the G League draft and um, Went down there for training camp and just didn't end up making that roster. And so I think mentally, I was at the point where basketball meant enough to me to where I knew it was something that I was going to pursue and and that I wasn't going to let one speed bump in the road, you know, deter me from being able to kind of pursue my dreams. And so I just stayed in the gym. I think uh, every single day I was there. I used to be up so early, like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., be in the gym, hit the weight room, the workout, do an individual, come back in the afternoon and place a pickup. And that was just my routine. And I knew that if I was able to stay ready, that eventually opportunity would find me. And it did.
0: When you talk about your individual workouts and and all the pickup ball that you played, was that um, mostly self-motivated or was there somebody... Surrounding you that uh, that said, "Hey, Josh, you gotta hit the weights. You gotta hit. You know, you gotta take your shots individually. You gotta stay in shape. You gotta do this. You gotta do this." Or was there somebody that gave you certain pieces of advice that helped you through that period?
1: I, I would say that for the most part, it was self motivated. I could say that indirectly, uh, my father was was someone that really helped me uh, in that period because of the work ethic that he instilled in me as a kid. And okay. so that was just always kind of a part of my DNA and my dad, he never let me rest. You know, he always was on top of me about staying in the gym, about honing my craft, about taking a talent that I had and making it better. And so in the time that I was looking for a quote-unquote job, uh, I think those things just kind of kicked in second nature for me. Yeah.
0: Now it's December of 2010, Tiny Leverkusen is calling i mean it's it's 9 years removed from now but um do you can you can you somewhat remember what what went through your mind when you you know when your old agent called you and said hey we got an offer from leverkusen i mean what, was germany on the map for you especially leverkusen that has not been the first division team at the time
1: yeah i um Actually, I kind of remember that experience pretty vividly because at the time that I was coming out of college, overseas basketball wasn't such a popular thing as it is now. So I knew nothing about uh, the overseas market. I didn't know more than two people that played overseas. I didn't know what to expect from a living situation, from a basketball situation. I didn't know if they had fans. I I didn't know anything. And so... I just knew that I wanted to continue to play and that this was the opportunity that was given to me to do it. Uh, my agent seemed to think that Germany would be a, a good country to start my career in, and uh, it turns out that he was right. And so I was kind of in the dark about uh, any expectations or things that I could expect when I was going to get here. It was just going to be a surprise once I got off that plane. Yeah. And, I, and I truly
0: believe Leverkusen. Still is one of the better places to start a career in, in German basketball, as the the city is so rich in, in basketball tra- tradition. I mean, obviously the the, the early to mid nineties, were uh, you know the years where Leverkusen dominated the the German basketball, played internationally. Have you know it felt like every every national team player was was on the Leverkusen roster. Um, but still, you can feel the the tradition that's that's there. Um, what, what's been the biggest obstacle for you personally that you had to overcome once you came into Germany? <laughs> Besides driving stick.
1: Um, yeah, that, actually, that's what I was going to say. Uh, that, was, that was definitely a big one for me. Um, I think that uh, what I found, even just throughout my years, is that a lot of people uh, are able to speak English. So I could say language barrier, but I don't know that I ever had an extremely difficult time with that. I remember there were there were small things that I had to get adjusted to. I like, um, bagging my own groceries at the grocery store. And the first time that I went to the grocery store and I bought all this stuff and then I just let it kind of swipe through. I let the lady swipe through all my items and I was waiting for her to put it in a bag. <laughs> and the line behind me was so long and, and people were really upset with me because I hadn't bought I had bought a bag. I didn't know that I had to have a bag. I didn't know they had to bag my groceries. And so, I think there were little things like that. But as time went on, I, I slowly and quickly learned things about the culture and about the people. But the adjustment for me, I think, wasn't that bad.
0: Yeah. Um, when I when I said that Leverkusen once was one of the biggest powerhouses in, in German basketball and has a, a super rich tradition, um, you know, as we. Already said, Leverkusen nowadays is, is playing in, in second division. Um, but when you look back at the 10-11 the season, and let's say that half a year that you spent in, in Leverkusen, um, in what regard gave that period of time give you a chance to learn and understand how basketball in Germany works, how the league is set up, the, the power levels of Pro B Pro A and, and then and then uh, ultimately the the Bundesliga.
1: You know, I think that was kind of an ever evolving thing to me. Uh, I can't say that I learned everything in those first few months that I was there in, in Leverkusen, but I, my coach was from America. He's from the Chicago area, and so and he had also played there, and so I think the adjustment for me, he was able to kind of help me learn about the so the biggest thing was the beginning was uh, not traveling uh, with like a sweep through move. It's one of the biggest moves that we use in, in the States and, and in Europe it was to travel. And I remember that was one of the first things that he would teach me. Hey, you're going to probably get called for travel quite a bit. And so you can master the use this cross step or put the ball down immediately once you catch in and transition and, and, and things like that. And so I think as time went on, I started to learn more about how the leagues operated How much differently really the game was from the mistakes, and even till now, I think the game is still continuing to evolve.
0: Yeah, and 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 I truly believe it's it's for the better of the game overall. You know that it's not totally static, but it's evolving, and from time to time there are little uh, adjustments uh, within the regulations and stuff. Um, After after Leverkusen, you played. Three years with with tubing and before ultimately moving on to to Nuremberg, um, and during that stretch, you saw it all. As I said, coming into to Leverkusen Pro B and then playing all the way up to the to the Bundesliga level. Um, at what point did did you realize for yourself, yeah, I am ready for playing in the BBL. I can contribute on the BBL level, or. Um, have there has there been any have there been any, any obstacles for you personally where you'd say, hey, I gotta work on this and that um, when it comes to, to my repertoire, when it comes to, to my toolbox that I can bring to the table in order to get me a a constant job on the BBL?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I've always been one that's not really lacked confidence in, in my playing abilities. Um, I can say that coming coming out of college was a difficult time for me because it, I didn't have a, a great senior season. I had had some uh, ups and downs with just the, the situation that I was in. And, and actually, I wasn't sure that I wanted to play basketball anymore. So coming over to Leverkusen, one of the things that my coach did beautifully, and I think that is an important job for many coaches, and I think they hold the key to a lot of players' futures, is that he was able to re really give me that confidence that I kinda had throughout my life. Um putting me in good situations to be able to kinda shine. And so following that season at Leverkusen I knew that I was ready to play at a higher level. I was able unfortunate to be able to work out with some DDL teams and had done really well in those workouts. And so I knew it was I knew it was a league that I would be able to play in. And then once I got in the league it was just about kind of finding my niche, finding the, the place where I fit in, how I could help my team to be successful, what's going to be my role. And, and I think once you find those things as a player, it really helps you to be successful in the court. And I was able to do that.
0: So let's let, let's put you on the couch and uh, you know let's really pick your brain. Or, so what is the niche that, that you fill out the way... Nobody else can can do for for team. What's what's the thing? What's the unique thing that you could can bring for the table? What, what is it that you learned about yourself that makes you? Uh, be productive on the BBL level or makes you sexy for for uh, BBL teams?
1: I think in my situation it's been always been a two-part thing. There's been something that's been kind of intangible I guess you could say okay. um, which has been my ability to bring guys together and uh, like in a leadership role. Even when I was 23, 24 years old, the guy that took me and elected me to be their captain. And, and I think it was something that people saw in me. And then I was able to use those tools um, to kind of bring our team together and then help us to play better, to help us gel better on the court and off the court, uh, bringing guys that were Germans with the guys that were foreigners and kind of making sure it's just a team and that we're not having different clicks and different segments of the team. And that's always been something, I think that's kind of been one of my strengths. And then on the court, I think being vocal um, and being able to really just score the basketball. I think you can always find a position for someone who can shoot the ball. And I've been able to do that throughout my career. And I think it's been one of the reasons I've been able to prolong it.
0: When we talk about being verbally active, I truly believe that there's, there's two sides to to that equation you can have somebody who was taught by the coaches to be verbally active by you know just repeating and overly repeating being verbally active and practice by the coaches demanding every play, player to to just do that um, and I think on the other hand to, to be very to be really consistently be verbally active um it's just you just gotta be exactly this what what type of guy are you and and where when you say yeah that, that's somewhat in my dna possibly um where does that where does that come from in, in your case
1: i think it comes from being a kid um and having an upbringing from my parents to always be someone that stands out and not just um not just in the things that I say, but also in the things that I do. And so I think when you take on that type of attitude, it kind of causes you to, to rise to the occasion, and it causes you to, um, to become a leader in certain situations. And so in a lot of the things that I played on as a kid, I was the kid that was playing at a higher level, and then also the guy that was uh, communicating at that same level. Both of my parents were educators. You know, communication to them was extremely important, and so I think in taking... I've taken that principle and I've been able to apply it across the board in my life, and that just falls in the same scope of being on the basketball court and understanding how important that is and everything that we do. Yeah.
0: And when we talk about uh, being verbally active, I have a front runner to, uh, you know, to, to jump in for you just in case uh, you have to sit out a game or two because of I don't know maybe maybe a, a stomach virus or so, and it's gonna be Luke von Sloten. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he is uh, to everybody who does not know who Luke von Sloten is, he is a born 2002, I believe. Um, yeah. one of the, the up and coming German youngsters who's on the Fechter roster. And I mean, Luke, he hasn't played many games last year for you guys in, in BBL, I think maybe three, two, yeah, four, five games, possibly just saw a couple seconds. Um, but he is super active on the bench, always cheering, cheering on the guys. When coach is taking a timeout, he's the first one to to jump over, uh, to jump on the field and give everybody a high five, cheering everybody on, constantly talking to people. I mean, he's he's never stopping. I mean, is 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 this something that that he saw f- that he saw uh, you doing and? He just adapted it, or where does that come from when we talk about
1: him? That's a great question. Uh, first off, he's an unbelievable kid, um, very intelligent, great basketball player. Uh, we're, we're extremely blessed to be able to have him on this team. Um, but I think it's probably a, a combination of things. You know, I think he's able to see great leadership um, here at roster. You know, we play for an unbelievable coach He's a team-first guy. Everything is about uh, making those around you better, um, making sure that everything is about the system, about the team. And so I know that he's able to be under that leadership every single day, and that has an effect on him. And then we have guys, I think, that are able to mimic that same message that we're here for each other, that we do everything together, we fight for one another. And I think that he's just taking that to heart. And so when you see him on the bench and he's getting ready and it, it's genuine, you know, and I think those are the type of things that make teams successful, they have people like that, especially a guy who's not giving a lot of minutes last season, uh, who's really there in a the support role, supporting role, but does that to the best of his ability.
0: Absolutely, and it's super contagious. I mean, when you have a chance to, to watch a Festa game on, on TV and, you know, you can see the, the five guys on the floor giving all they got, but... When you when you look at the bench, I mean it's it's outstanding. That that's something that yeah. very few teams have. I I truly believe. Um, and we got to talk about that very Fechter team um, before we we talk about the, the upcoming season. Um, last season was a a total blast for everybody who had the chance to to watch you guys play. Um, and from experience, I know that over the course of the season. team is super close and it's uh trying to avoid somewhat or most of the stuff that you know is being thrown at it especially when we talk about the the media um but at what point did or did you guys even have a chance to you know block it all out what's (laughs) what's surrounding you guys and and if if so or not, did it have any effect on, on the style of play that you guys put on the floor?
1: Um, I can I can tell you for sure that uh, nothing that happens outside of our team is going to affect anything that happens inside of it. Uh, and again, that that comes from my leadership. You know, I think uh, our coaching staff, Coach Kaya, they do an unbelievable job of teaching us principles and things that we stick to. and, and uh, things that we do on the court. And that's really our main goal, is to be as good as we can be at the things that we do. And so last year, it was was such a blur because we weren't expected to be good. Uh, People didn't have any expectation of us to do anything special. But I think within the locker room of our guys, we really knew that if we were able to understand our roles, if we were able to play much harder, much harder than our opponents, uh, if we were able to defend at a high level and then offensively, if we could play attractive basketball, that would give us a good chance a chance to stay in a lot of the games in the BBL. What we did not know was that the formula would work as well as it did. And so as we were going through the season, all these things were happening. And it's really difficult to really take those things in for what they are when you're in the middle of it. I, I really want to say it wasn't until after the season that we looked back like, well, that was crazy. Uh, but while it was going on, it was just one game at a time. It was just us uh, doing our job. It was just us trying to win as many games as possible and then really trying to make history for a club that hadn't been on the map in years. And so it was it was something that was extremely special and I don't think anyone
0: it And we have to remember that the year didn't start the way you guys finished the season. I mean, you started with, I believe, three, four, five losses in a row, something like this, and everybody was, okay, they're going down again. You know, it's Vesta. We've seen (laughs) this before. Uh, What was, especially that that early, let's say, three to four weeks into the season um, and and the losses, was that just because the the principles that you just touched weren't really in, in full effect, or where did that come from? When you, when you rewind yeah. the clock
1: and, and look back on, on the early stages of, of last season. Yeah, well, when you think about it, you know, chemistry takes time. It, it takes time to figure out uh, how your teammates play. It, it takes time to uh, develop a team and, and a system and be really good at it in the first six, seven, eight weeks of, of coming together. You know, and I think that's really what it was. We, we were working hard and I think we were moving in the right direction. But we just hadn't found that thing that was going to take our team to the next level. And so I can tell you that in the in the first game we lost to Bayroy and, and pretty handily. I think they beat us by 17, 18 points. The second game we played Munich on the road, down by twenty in the third quarter, come all the way back to being down by three. And it was in that game that we started to feel, like, hey, we we are not that bad that we can play basketball. We can hang in these games. If we make fewer mistakes, we play hard and were able to score the basketball. And then in the third game, we lost to Frankfurt at home, and it was another step where we lost, but we played better, and so we felt good. And so when we had the chance to, to be on the road and play NBC in that fourth game and we were able to, to get our first win of the season, it was just like the culmination of us being persistent, sticking to our guns, continuing to do things that we worked on, and then it just finally paid off with, with the win. You know, sometimes if you play good basketball, it doesn't mean that you're going to win the game. But it's important that every single time you step on the court that you're improving and, and taking that approach is what got us to the season that we had last year.
0: Absolutely. And, and there's so much truth uh, to the saying that, you know, the season is super long. You have, uh, and when we talk about the Bundesliga, you've got 34 games to develop into a, a playoff contender or at least in to, to get better. Um, over those those six six to seven months, um, and it's it's an awful lot of time where where you can you know work on your craft, work on getting better as a as a collective. Um, do you believe that when we talk about the 1920 season, do you believe that there are things that might change for you guys as a team now that you play in Basketball Champions League as well and you have a, a way tighter schedule? In terms of. In, in in terms of you guys not having the, the chance to play Sunday, have Mondays off, and then, you know, go to the lab, go to the gym and practice Tuesday, Wednesday, oh, yeah. Thursday, Friday, because, yeah. because there's fewer time in, in between games now. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah especially, I mean, especially plus the fact that. Um, Actually, I, I believe you don't have too many guys that already played domestic and internationally in, in one year. So it's going to be a new yeah. experience for, for many guys now.
1: So the, the thing is, um, we're moving into foreign territory, for, uh, actually for most of us, um, but with familiar people. Uh, you know, for a lot of us, a lot of the guys that are able to come back and then be brought in some really good talent um, to complement the team, And I think that in anything that you do in life, you're always wanting to constantly be better, grow. And that is what we're doing now, you know, going from playing just in a national stage here in the Bundesliga to playing international. And I think for the players, it's something where we have to figure out, okay, how do we manage this? How are we able to manage our traveling days, get as much rest as we need to, get the recovery that we need to still be able to put in the work and then be effective in the games that we're going to play. And for the coaching staff, how much are we going to push these guys? How much practicing are we going to do? Uh, How much contact stuff are we going to do versus individual stuff and conditioning? And so I think it's a, it's a new territory for a lot of us, but it's exactly the place that you want to be in so that you can grow. And so it's going to be a fun adventure for us to figure that those things out.
0: Have you been uh, reaching out to somebody who's been in in that very situation who's been playing in in, in both uh, you know domestic and, and international competition to maybe get a better feel or better get a better understanding for what it is like or is this something yeah, where you say yeah we're we're gonna figure it out regardless
1: no I, I would say that um, most of the guys that I know have played um, in dual competitions in Europe and so I know one of the common things that I hear from those guys is that travel days are hard. You know, it sounds really appealing to be on a plane and fly out to Athens and go play a game and come back. But, but the reality is that those days are tough on the body and that you don't get a lot of rest. And, um, you might have to sleep in the airport. You might have to sleep on a plane. So I think that's one of the things that I know to expect already um, and to be able to try to combat that as well as possible this season.
0: Yeah. And it's gonna be—I truly believe—it's—it's gonna be fun, especially for you, because it's—it's it's a new chapter, and uh, you know, as a, as a vet, because you've never yeah. been in in those shoes.
1: Which is really cool, you know. I think it's been my tenth season, um, and then being able to kind of make the, the highest progression of what I've been doing in Europe in this tenth season. Is just a blessing for me, man. It's a it's an unbelievable opportunity to take each day in stride, and I'm just thankful that I'm still able to do it and and be out here with these young guys and compete. And so I'm really looking forward to what the season brings.
0: Yeah. Um. Before I let you go, Josh, uh, we gotta open. You gotta open the box a little bit for us. Um. You know, when when we talk about what what makes fechter fechter, um, what comes to mind is the. Super aggressive uh, defense, uh, you guys tossing a ton of turnovers, uh, pressuring the ball, not constantly over 40 minutes, but it feels like in the good old Chicago Bulls era, era where it was said, okay, let's have five straight possessions on defense where we give everything we got, and to, to force turnovers to, you know, Get steals, get open layups, and and hopefully have a you know eight to, to ten point margin after after that stretch. What's the, what's the secret that you can share with us when it comes to fechter defense?
1: The secret is, <laughs>
0: <laughs> if there is any. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the thing is that came to my mind was at the at the at the early stages of last season, everybody was. Uh, taken off guard when they f- had to face you because you were the new teams nobody was nobody was expecting you guys to to play that high energy to play uh you know that style of defense for 40 minutes um and everybody was saying okay hey let, let's let's see what they're gonna do in the second part of the season and nobody was able to really stop you guys from doing exactly this which what, what everybody could see, especially in the playoffs, where most people thought, hey, it's going to be a potentially a five-game series and the opposing team has more time to really figure out how you guys function on defense and what they can do you know, to, to counter that. And I believe that's not been the case. So there, there has to be some secret mojo behind it, I believe.
1: I think what I can say about it is, is there's two parts. I think one the reason that we were able to play defense so successfully um, last season and hopefully again this year is because what you see in the game is exactly what you'll see if you walk into our gym and watch us practice. We practice at a level of intensity that's really unfamiliar for a lot of people and, and that's what translates into us walking into the roster dome on a Saturday night and being able to put on. The the defensive performance because we did it every single day during the week, uh, which is really important. The second thing is, people talk about having to have a high IQ to play on the offensive side of the ball, but I think we play a defense that requires you to also to have a high IQ defensively. When we talk about traps, when we talk about pushing people to certain angles, and then being able to be there on spin moves or between the legs or watching the eyes of the ball handle rotations. Those things require you to have high IQ. And so I think the combination of persistently and consistently working on the defense at the level that we do at games, as well as having the high IQ of being able to force people into situations they don't want to be in, is one of the reasons that we've been able to be successful.
0: Would you say, um, to be really effective on, on defense, it's more about your defensive Principles, or is it m- more about fig- figuring out the, the, the offensive weakness of the opposing team?
1: It's it's about us, so it's more about our principles. Okay, uh, you know, some teams go through every game and they're gonna say, if they run too slow, we do this, and if they do run up, we do this. And we just have our principles, we understand that no matter what the action is, there's certain things that we do. We trail shooters coming off the screens, uh, we're up the line in the passing line. Uh, the next man over. And we're always in our triangles, uh, touching the passing line. And so, those things don't change for us no matter what the offense is doing. And so, really, we're able to focus on what we do every single day in practice and be cut that. Because there's not a lot of things that are changing, we're able to get really good at them. Yeah.
0: So, we'll be super curious to see how the 1920 season unfolds for you guys. We'll have an eye on you guys. Um, so to close this one out, the very last question for you, Mr. Young, uh, what happened to the big Josh Young superhero drawing from the playoffs? Do you have it in your, in, in your apartment or uh, had, did somebody sell it on eBay? Where is it?
1: Yeah, I still have it. I still have it. Those things are really cool. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but it is still in my possession.
0: So, so the, the drawings were handed over to you guys by, by the fans after the playoffs.
1: Yeah, they did that. That was really unbelievable for them to do that for us. And and then they were they were able to give those to us after that last game. So I know a lot of the guys still have them.
0: This is this is awesome. We gotta we gotta somebody has to print T-shirts with <laughs> with these drawings. I mean, they they are uh, phenomenal.
1: Yeah, they're awesome.
0: They're awesome. Closing this one out, I have to say thanks to Fechter's media manager, Jörn Benter for making this interview possible. A special shout-out goes to Mr. Young for himself for being available whilst on a busy preseason schedule. Until we drop our next episode, feel free to follow us on Instagram at somethingbasketball and leave some feedback on whatever platform you've been listening to this episode. Until then, substitution, I'm out.